So uh, let's go to Luke chapter 18 together. And I want to try to read to you in English uh, first eight verses. I'm going to read from ESV. Luke verse 18, uh, chapter 18, I'm sorry. And he, meaning Jesus, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father, thank you so much for your word. So, <clears throat> for years, I, I thought that this, is a, this text, and you could read this text as a general instruction on how to pray. And you could walk away after this reading thinking, well, the secret to fruitful prayer is being persistent. So if I don't see the answer that in what I pray for, I just need to persist and continue on and keep bothering God, I guess. And then he will eventually give me what I want or what I need. Um, but then my experience, I mean, when you walk with God for some time, you realize that things don't really work that way all the time. And persistence sometimes doesn't work. And for even the moments, I hope you have those moments too, that actually I didn't even pray yet and God came through. I was stupid enough not to pray and God came through anyway. So it seems like answered prayers are not only for those who are persistent. So what is this all about? So when you, you know, there are three major secrets to understanding your Bible. It's first is in, read it in context, second, second read it in context, and third read it in context. And uh, so when you go back a little bit, you've got quite, quite scary moment when Jesus is actually telling about what we would call end times, a smart word for that is eschatology. The theology about end of things. And when Jesus talks about end of things, it's always confusing. It's like, because from chapter 9 in Gospel of Luke, we know that everything from chapter 9 is as Jesus is going back to Jerusalem. It says in chapter 9 that he, faced, he turned his face toward Jerusalem. So everything is happening in context of him coming to that city and a couple of things that will happen in that city. He knows what will happen in that city. And there's a moment when Jesus stands on the hill and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I tried to gather you under my wings. So, you know, from history probably, 
uh, if not, I'm going to remind you that in year 70, Jerusalem was completely destroyed. So Jesus prophesied that no stone will, will be, I mean, how did he say that? You know what I mean, right? That, that every stone will be just basically broken from the, from the temple. Uh, it happened in year 70. So when we read Jesus' predictions about future, it seems like they very often overlap. There's, he talks about end of times in general, and he talks about end of times that will be the end of era when the temple is going to be destroyed. So Jesus, I'm, I'm telling you that because this is right before that instruction about prayer. Jesus knows that difficult moments are really, are really close. Before this generation passes, those, th those things will come to pass, and they did come to pass. Jesus was not a false prophet. So in that context, knowing what will happen, that there's a difficult moment coming within a generation, he gives instruction. So this is not a general instruction about how you should pray in general. This is a specific kind of prayer. This is the prayer when things go dark. And when things go dark, then Jesus gives that instruction. So I'm going to give you, try to arrange this, this message about four things. First, we're going to look at the um, divine instruction to pray. And then surprising encouragement to follow that instruction. And then we're going to look at the divine challenge that Jesus gives. And then hidden power to actually face that challenge. You ready? So the instruction is actually quite tough. He says that we should always pray and not lose heart. Good luck. <laughs> How are you doing about that? You're doing fine? You're not losing heart ever? You're praying always? Okay, amen, let's go home depressed. That's the instruction, though, right? And then he gives this parable so we could actually find a little bit of encouragement to actually follow that instruction. And the parable is quite simple. I mean, it doesn't take much to understand that Jesus is actually contrasting that unrighteous judge with our Father in heaven. This is not to think that God is in any way even close to a judge, that the only way to get anything from him is to be like that widow, because otherwise God will not answer. No, this is a contrast. But there's also a surprising similarity here in this parable. And I'm going to show it to you, because uh, we read it in English, I read it in Polish, and we sometimes miss things that are in the original language. So in verse 5, it says that the judge is speaking to himself that he will actually take this widow into, he will take her case because she will beat me down by her continuing, continual coming. And in Greek, it actually means, says, says literally, she will give me a black eye. <laughs> and that was an idiom in those days meaning that she will ruin my reputation. Well, it's Israel, first century. They knew Moses' teaching. What did Moses teach about widows? You should 
take care of them, widows and orphans. Quite clear. He didn't care about it, that judge, but he cared about his reputation. And society expected they couldn't, I mean, they, so this tells you something about our human heart. You can see somebody actually acting in a righteous way even though they don't care about God and don't respect man. He did it to save his reputation. So what's the similarity, you might ask, between God and this judge? Well, God cares about his reputation. Well, so sometimes even when I talk to students on the campus, especially those uh, skeptical ones, they say, I don't like your God because he's so jealous for his glory. Like, and they treat it as an accusation. He's so petty. Well, because they don't know what kind of God he is. I mean, when people ca care about their reputation and their glory, it is petty. I mean, and the fruits of that are terrible usually when we try to put our glory forth. Because we don't have so many things to actually, for people to glory about. Right? So we need to cheat a little bit and stretch reality and give more colors and put some makeup on the reality. And that's our glory. God's glory is different. If he is who he claims he is, creator of all things, then he is the source of what we long for. All truth, beauty, justice come from him. He is the source of life. So when he's, when he's jealous of his glory, he's jealous of things we long for. He protects things we care about. And actually, when God is jealous of his glory, the benefits for us are amazing. Uh, let me show you that. You probably know that one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 23. God is my shepherd. And when you, before you Take a look in that psalm. Who would you say the psalm is mostly about? What is the, who's the most, who's the main actor in that psalm? It would seem that it's really the narrator. He is my shepherd and all the, all the benefits. It's, uh, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. It's all about, seems like, the narrator, Right? But then we go to verse 3, for his name's sake. Come on. Can you see that? He, it is good when God is doing things for his name's sake. Because he is the source of all righteousness, beauty, and justice, and life that we long for and we desire. So he's not petty. So he cares about his reputation. And it's good for us. So, since we're in Psalms, let's, let's go to another Psalm. Uh, I think it's Psalm 13. Because then it, Psalms actually show us, I want to spend a little bit more time in Psalm to, today. Because Psalms actually show us how to pray those prayers in dark times. I love Psalms. They, about seven, eight years ago, they saved my faith. Really, I was in a moment when uh, I considered, I was, I was a pastor. And I considered, do I still want to be a Christian? And uh, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to talk to God. 
And somehow somebody put in my hands a little devotional by uh, Dr. Tim Keller, uh, Songs, Songs of Jesus. Have you seen that? I recommend it strongly. It's basically going through Psalms for the whole year and every devotional leads to Jesus. Um, so <clears throat> Psalms are amazing because they're very raw. Uh, those are songs. And I think that if somebody was to put music today to most of the songs, it would be blues. You know? My woman doesn't love me. My dog hates me. Let me go and eat dirt. It should be blues for most of the psalms. And still, it's right there in the center of our Bibles. Those are songs written in dark times. And language is not censored. Sometimes it's, for us Christians, it's difficult to read. It's like, how is that in the Bible? Shouldn't be loving our enemies? He's praying actually that his enemies will be crushed. And what do I do with that? But he's doing that in front of God's throne. He's not saying, give me strength. To kill my enemies, he's coming to God saying, you deal with them. He's giving that up to God. And there's, there's this trick in Psalms that helps to go through dark times. And I'm going to show it to you. It's in quite a few Psalms. Going back to that 13. Um, so listen to that language. How long, O oh Lord? <laughs> there you go. Let's pause. I mean, how many times our timetable and God's timetable, how long? I'm praying that right now. That war has been going on for over 500 days. How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul? How, how long the only source of encouragement is this? Because I'm looking inside, not much left. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord. It's like almost like shaking fist at God. That's okay. That's what Psalms are for. I mean, God knows you anyway. He knows what you're thinking. So you're coming clean like, oh, praise you, hallelujah. Only, only encouraging words. He knows what's in your heart. Okay. No, no way of fooling him. So come, come forward. Be, be open. He knows. He wants you to come like that. Verse 5. And here's the, here's the word. B-U-T. But. So he starts uncensored, raw, blues, country, pour me another glass of whatever, because life is terrible. But, but, it happens very often when you pray like that. As you continue to pour out your heart, something usually starts to shift. You're raw, you're authentic, you're not pretending. You know that God will not be offended. You know that he will not fall off his throne. You know that he will not be shocked by your emotions. He knows. So as you pour out, something shifts. Your honest Holy Spirit comes and then you say, but I remember. So what I say here? 
but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Or we, I could take another sermon about that, two words, steadfast love. It's one word in Hebrew, chesed. They make that sound. It just means love that is based on covenant faithfulness. He promised. I have trusted in what you promised. My heart will, I don't know when, maybe not fully yet, but will rejoice. I will sing to the Lord. It's not happening yet. You see me? I would like to. Maybe I'll make a decision to sing, but it's, ah, it feels weird. But I will sing. The moment will come. The way I was taught to pray was exactly opposite. I was taught that you should come and say, you're amazing. I'm going to sing for you. But where is my stuff? I don't know about you. That was my training in the early days. Come with praise and thanksgiving and then you, like you want to summon God and like give him a bait, a carrot. And like, see, I'm an amazing Christian. Come closer, come closer, come closer. Where's my stuff? <laughs> so prayer in dark times is different. You come with your stuff and then as you pour yourself out, eventually there comes a moment for but. B-U-T. And then you slowly remember. I remember that moment. You came through. I remember that scripture. It's been sustaining me. I remember this and that. And slowly you start shifting. So that's the encouragement. Because it all rests on his reputation. On his glory. So that's awesome. Little instruction on how to pray. But there's a, so there's a question from Jesus, a challenge, if you will. So we ask questions in hard times. How long? We are full of questions. Where will it end? Have you forgotten about me? But in this parable, Jesus actually asks us a question. Actually, not us. He asks them. I think it really, the first meaning is pertaining to that generation living in that time. He says, Nevertheless, last verse, 8b, nevertheless, when, son, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? But, uh, so I think that this question is directed toward that generation, but I, it, I, somehow I feel it really resonates still today. It's like that question is like, a, you, know those, you know those Buddhist meditation bowls? You bang one and they go like, seems like forever. <laughs> I feel like this question is like that. It still resonates. It's challenging. And if you know your heart really well and if you're authentic and genuine and sincere, uh, I don't think you can answer that question. I would like to be in a group of people that will have faith. But will I? I don't know. I would like to. I wish. And there's a, there's a hidden, hidden powers, source of power, I think, that can help us when Jesus comes back to be in that group of people that will be faithful. 
And when I say faithful, I need to define this word a little bit. It's not checking off all paragraphs and dots of the law. It's not being faithful to Christian moral values. All those are important, but they should be the fruit of something else. The result of our trustful dependence on him. So when I say faith, you could use the word trust, because the faith is kind of like a word that almost becomes meaningless sometimes in our circles. Faith, faith, faith this, faith that, I have faith for this, I don't want to lose my faith, blah, blah, blah. Trust. We trust. Trust in what? That even if our circumstances completely flat out deny that he is source of all goodness, truth, and beauty, I will not be removed from my position that he is faithful, good, and beautiful. I will not. And that's the point of this prayer. Look, verse, verse 1, always pray and not lose heart. The purpose of this prayer is not to lose your faith. And then the question, the challenge is, will I find faith when I come back? So what is the hidden source of power? Remember that black eye thing? So that judge, that judge gave justice to that widow because he was afraid of getting a black eye, having his reputation ruined in a, in a society. What about our judge? You know, when, when, he's, when he comes back, he's going to judge. God says, I've given all the judgment to the, into the hands of the, of the Son of Man, of Jesus. What about him? He was bruised, right? More than bruised. He was whipped. He was stretched on that, on that scaffolding. Tortured. To the point of death, desperation, he cried out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is, think about it, this is how God wants to ensure us that he's for us. He will judge but by first coming and not being afraid of ruining his reputation like that unrighteous judge. He came to be bruised. He's completely different. And why did he do it? So when he comes back, we will not be judged according to his standards. We will be judged according to his mercy. Because he has paid the price. His reputation was ruined. Just imagine that moment on the cross. Everybody is standing like, ah, save yourself. You were so smart. So many smart words. You always had a great answer. Moving in power. What about now? Can you overcome those nails? We dare you. He could have done it any moment. He could have come down. He didn't. He stayed bruised on that cross. For my sake and your sake. So that's the hidden source of power in dark times. If you're not sure if God is for you, if you pour out your heart and that bad moment doesn't come, eventually the only way you can come back to God and keep your faith 
is looking back to that bruising, looking back to that moment. He did it for you. He was thinking of you. He saw you down the corridor of time. He knew who you would be. He knew you would, you would need his help. So what can we do with this? Well, first of all, um, let me talk to you who might, there might be some of you who are actually uh, identifying, uh, don't raise your hand, with that judge. Maybe the reason why you lead your Christian life is because the people around you respect it and you want to stay in relationships, you want something from them, your reputation because you live with Christian values is important to you. Uh, God sees you. <laughs> he knows what's in your heart. And I think he calls you back to something deeper, more meaningful. He calls you back to freedom where good things, good deeds are fruit of depending by faith on him. And then maybe some of you, you are in a situation when you are going through a dark moment and you are losing heart. You are losing faith. You are losing trust. I hope that Holy Spirit is whispering to your ears through the scriptures this morning saying, stay, look at my son. Look at his sacrifice. Look at his resurrection. I'm with you. I'm for you. I am the source of all truth. Yes, it might be long according to your timetable, but I will come through. I've got a way. Don't give up. Look what I did for Jesus. I raised him from the dead. Just think what I can do for you. Let me pray. Father, I pray for those among us who, who are afraid sometimes to, to do a Christian life because we are afraid to lose our reputation. Father, I pray that this teaching will give us courage. I pray for those who are doing good things only because of the reputation. Father, I pray that you would come through and shatter this construction. And draw these people to a meaningful, deeper life that is based on relationship with you. And finally, Father, I pray for all those of us who are going through dark times. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would draw us in. That we would have courage and boldness to come to the throne of grace and pour out our faith and our desperation. Father, I pray that you would move closer to all of us, even if the only prayer we can utter is, please help. You see, you know. Come close. You are Jesus, which means God saves. This is your nature. This is your glory. Be a glorious God for us.